What up, peeps? Welcome into Unscripted and Unprepared, brought to you by Real Screen Magazine. I'm Jimmy Fox, and this episode is my sit-down with Ben Batanti, Chief Creative Officer, Asylum Entertainment Group. Okay, this is a different type of episode, gang. This could be either the greatest idea I've ever had or the worst idea in the history of this podcast. So I've been thinking about this for a while, given what we've just lived through, strikes, unions, a lot of conversations about where the future of our reality TV industry is headed. I figured, why not reflect on this? And why not compile a list of new rules, new rules that we should apply to our daily lives working in the reality TV business? Rules that would dictate our social and professional protocols, right? The new rules of engagement for our business. But I thought, hey, if I'm going to do this, I need to have somebody join me on this podcast. I can't do this by myself. I need to ask around. I need to poll, you know, executives, friends, peers in the industry, see if they have any ideas. I've now done that. I have compiled a list of proposed new rules for our business I've gotten it from multiple sources, but I needed to have somebody join me on the podcast that would have just as much passion, just as much perspective, and a love for this discussion as I have. And I found him. Ben Patanti was brave enough to join me on this podcast. He brought some of his own ideas to the table. I brought some of mine. And then we read off a list of anonymously submitted ideas from various contacts of mine. And what we're going to try to do by the end of this podcast is compile a group of new rules that we should all adhere to in our industry. Like I said, could be the worst idea I've ever had. This is my sit down with Ben Batanti. I hope you enjoy it. All right, so I feel like we'd be remiss before we jump into compiling a new list of the new rules for reality TV. I feel like we got to talk about your new fancy gig. Yes, super fancy. I mean, first off, it's got to be fancy enough that you invited me on to this podcast, right? So that or you've completely burned all of the good guests possible in the industry, right? (laughs) I'd say (laughs) 70-30. 70 30 you know you could figure out what which side the ratio lies but you got this new gig but also we went and we had this drinks like weeks ago with like other producer network friends of ours you were just like ripping off some hot takes ben patanti might like and enjoy talking about the business more than me which i don't come across often so i've been thinking about this episode idea of let's do the new rules let's construct the new list by which our business should be ran right I, I need to have a guest that will bring something to the table. And I'm like, oh yeah, Ben. Ben loves to fire off some hot takes. I'll invite Ben. So that's that's where this came from. Well, I appreciate that. I'm still going to, in my head, believe that you've run out completely of anyone who's relevant at all. And that's, that's why I'm here. Um, but yes, I love to talk smack about our business. So um, sign me up. You know, let's so, do it. <laughs> right, but let's talk about the gig. You are Chief Creative Officer, Asylum Entertainment. That's correct. The Asylum Entertainment Group, Jimmy. The Asylum Entertainment Group, which, yeah. Sorry. So 
Um, Steve Michaels, who we all know, and the king of, of everything, um, in his infinite wisdom, it sold his company for the second time, which, ha- you know, that's like on the real screen Mount Rushmore of it all. Selling your company for a second time is like, that's a, that's a bingo card thing that not a lot of people have checked off. Wait. Sure. Burnett? You're, maybe one of your old bosses, perhaps? Well, those are different companies. Different companies, right. Okay, so different companies, right. But did Brent yeah. Montgomery sell twice? I don't think so. I, I, I mean, it's it's been like, like you said, it's more than one company, but not the same oh, company oh. twice. Eli and Aaron with IPC, right? Yeah, you, you, I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, like a, a different iteration, right? Um, but you're right. I mean, this is, this is as clean as it gets. It's, I sold it. I bought it back. I sold it again. Like that's, (laughs) I don't know. I don't, that's pretty awesome. All right. So the group asylum entertainment group, meaning what? Give me, give me what the charge is for you now over there. All right. So some stuff I can talk about, some stuff I can't, but basically the long short of it is, um, Endeavor, which now is owning the entire world, um, really, really wanted to be in the non-scripted space in a meaningful way. They already were with Film 45, with Glassman. They made an investment in Jen and Rebecca's company. Like they, this is something they want to do. Um, They bought Asylum. And the idea was to sort of utilize the infrastructure and the connections to sort of build a large unscripted global studio. So we're in the midst of doing that. And, um, you know, you can kind of look to past examples of it to, to sort of, um, you know, sort of see kind of the, the, the blueprint for that. And so we're kind of doing all that while that's going on. And as that's going on, my sort of role is creatively to kind of oversee all the different slates and all the different projects on all the different labels and try to play internal, um, you know, agent or an internal kind of traffic cop for all that. I mean, you've been in that structure You've seen it happen at the all threes and the ITVs and, you know, sometimes it works really well. Sometimes it can be challenging. So we're trying to be very conscious of that and like build something that can all work together across this large, you know, portfolio of of companies. So that's the, that's the idea. That sounds like a really enviable position to be in because you have these production companies in house that you can package and collaborate with and try to, you know, help and facilitate, you know, moving their business forward. But at the same time, you have the ability to self-develop and package your, your own stuff. Right. Yeah. That was, that was what was, I mean, amongst other things, what was really enticing for me personally was what you just said, like the idea that I could take whatever incoming I was getting or whatever stupid thing that was in my head and put it with the right place um, that, that actually could be the best home for it and not try to shoehorn different projects in based on, the company and what we've been known for in the past or what have you. And I knew I spent the last almost two years just working on like sports content. And that's awesome. I love sports. Like it's fantastic. And obviously sports content is really working, but it's inherently limiting. So this is the opposite of that. It's just sort of unfettered. And, you know, whether it's a shiny floor game show, crime show, premium doc, there's a, an opportunity to sell it and make it at a high level at the right company. So that's, and also, honestly, it goes to like what we're going to talk about, which is like the crossroads of our business and and changes that need to be made. And like the, these 
behemoth companies, like they've been around for a while and the, there's some cracks in the foundation and things are done different when they were put together than they are now. And so it was an opportunity to sort of be nimble and say, what would a company or a group or a studio or however you want to call it for the next 10 years, what would that look like? And let's build that. And so that was sort of the idea. But this is, for, for people that don't know, this is a homecoming for you, Back to Asylum. <laughs> yeah, he pulled me back in. Um, yes, that's true. So I spent five, almost four and a half years um, w- working with Steve and Jonathan um, at Asylum 1.0. That's where we actually did yeah. a, a podcast where Jonathan brought uh, Shanfield and I in yeah. to be like, we were like the two old guys in the Muppets, like behind him. Statler and Randolph, right, or whatever they're like, we were those guys just like commentating on the stuff from the back with one mic, just passing it around. That was amazing. That was, I want to say that was like the, maybe the third or fourth episode. And I was still figuring out what I was doing. I was doing those always in person. I was like a traveling salesman, like bring my laptop to people's offices. And I need like 10 minutes to set up before we got going. And you and Shanfield are like hanging out in there. And and I haven't listened back to that episode in forever, but God, wait, I was thinking about this, knowing we were going to talk about, this is your repeat cameo on the podcast. Um, where is Jonathan right now? Have you kept he's up with, with Yeah, he's, I mean, he's honestly one of my, you know, closest really only, I mean, if you said to me, like, who's your mentor or who's the person that's giving you the best advice or whatever in the business, like Jonathan Koch, hands down, mm-hmm. he's living the best life. He's, we all should be living Jonathan's life. Uh, he's moved down to San Diego. He's uh, doing a lot in the real estate world. He's doing a lot of scripted TV. Uh, we actually work with him. Uh, he started a separate company called Luna that is uh, handling all the scripted stuff because Asylum. Oh, I didn't, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's been doing scripted stuff, obviously. I mean, that was always his passion. I mean, the Kennedys and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And and um, he did an animated thing just recently, a Christmas uh, project, animated project. And he's always sort of had like one toe into the into the, into the the business on the scripted side. And when uh, Steve sold, obviously because of the unions of it all and everything, and, you know, Asylum had to bifurcate its scripted piece. And so that's all Jonathan now. And so we have, a, you know, we have a relationship with him. And so, yeah, the company's called Luna. And we sort of, anything we have that we can send their way, we do. And and so he's doing that. But honestly, he's just like living his life, doing TED Talks, like, you know, just, just impressing everybody and just the best human being on the planet. Oh, man, that's great to hear. I was, I was, I made a point. I had to ask you about Jonathan before we got going. Um, all right. So you were at Asylum for five years. Um, what, what, what era is this when you joined over there? And was that like, was that your first development gig? Like what was, did you start at an agency? Uh, I forget my, your... oh, my background's crazy, but like, it was my first actual job, uh, in development. I had overalls before then. Like I, you know, so coming up, um, you had overalls before then. Okay. So I started, I started in the agency world as an assistant at a small agency in New York, took a sojourn into the modeling business at Wilhelmina where I ran their talent department uh, we ended up selling a show to VH1 in like 2007 and and they had nobody to like work on it. And so I was the producer on the project. I had no idea what a producer was. I had no idea anything. And technically I was a manager at that time at Wilhelmina because you're not really an agent, you're a manager at a modeling agency. So I moved out here in 08 and uh, was a manager at a small boutique management company. And we sold another show to VH1, this classic Endemol show called America's most smartest model. If you remember oh that God. banger, that banger. Um, and the writer strike hit, 
And I sort of had a choice, like, do I just jump into this full time or do I hang out with my, you know, I had a list of like a lot of like, you know, under five people who are on like, you know, episode of Law and Order here and there. And like, you know, that, that was my client list. And I was like, oh, just, just grinding away as a manager. And then this other thing was right there. So I jumped in, um, walked around the production, like on shoot days with the call sheet and just asked people like what their name was and what they did. Cause I had no idea what production was. I was like, so you're a gaffer. What's that? Tell me about that. You know, like, so. Wait, I'm like wait, can we talk, can we talk about this for a second. So you're walking around with like your cheat sheet, right. Of everyone's names and their title. And you walk around, you ask, you're a gaffer. What do you do? And then like, after they answer you, they probably ask at some point, Oh, what's your name? And what do you do? And you go, Oh, that's me here under executive producer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I actually had not an executive. I think I was a co-executive producer, but Still. yes, you're correct. They, they, they were like, you idiot. And like the whole thing, it was so stupid. And so, um, yeah, but that, that's how I learned. I learned, I sat behind the, you know, like l l learning how to do an interview, like, like learning what pickups were, like all the stuff we take for granted. But like, I didn't have a production background. I didn't grow up on a set. And, you know, so that was how I learned. And I was, you know, came from Long Island. My parents were nurses, didn't go to film school. Like I had no understanding of this world, just Where'd that I wanted to be in it. I went to the UMass very briefly. I failed out uh, my sophomore year. And th this is actually, this is a true story. So I, I fell out my sophomore year. I'm living in my parents' basement on Long Island. I wanted to get into the entertainment business so desperately. I was an awful student. I did not care at all about college. I was, I think I got like eight credits my first two years at UMass. You know, I played lacrosse. I was a lacrosse player and they kicked me off. They kicked me out very quickly because all I did was play lacrosse and, and, and not go to class. And uh, I wrote handwritten letters to every single modeling agency, talent agency, and management company in New York City offering to work for free or be an intern or whatever. And I got a grand total of one response, which is this small modeling agency called ID Models, who was owned by this guy named Paolo Zampoli at the time, who uh, had famously run Donald Trump's modeling agency prior to that. And that fell, fell, fell you know, went to the ground, shockingly. Um, but he hired me as an unpaid intern to basically do all of his, you know, awful stuff at the modeling agency, like, like cutting comp cards and driving him in his Maybach to Marquee at night and like all this awful stuff. But I put that on a resume and then I sent that resume around and Don Buckwald and, you know, company, and they allowed me to come in as an uh, intern and then eventually a commercial assistant in the commercial department. And I just like forced my way through there the whole way up and down. So that's how I got in. So I See, this never becomes, had. This becomes a running theme on this podcast though. Whenever I talk to people about the early days and how they got their first job, like, I don't know you listen, but like Carlos King, another great example of this, where Carlos King literally just like stormed the offices and said he had a meeting with the internship coordinator and he did not. You know, something like that. I'm butchering the story, but it was something to that effect. Right. And this has been a theme with multiple guests of, hey, no one's going to hand me anything. I got to put the initiative out there and put myself in there and just go take it. You know, it's it, I, I do run into people who have that sort of shared backstory. I mean, look, this is this, our business in general is like an island of misfit toys. Like, you know, and 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 when you crawl through that, it's like who wants to like make absolutely nothing? And, you know, do all the fraternal BS that goes with being 
in the first jobs that you take in this business, wherever you are, whether you're a network, you're at a, it doesn't matter that those first couple of years are awful. Who wants to do that except like psychopaths who have no, <laughs> no other choice or no other thing that they actually want to do. And so it's like the Stanford Meisner quote about acting. Like if there's anything else in the world you should do, you can do, then do it. You know, like that's sort of our business. So yeah, I mean, it doesn't surprise me, but yeah, that's, that's how I got in. So anyway, long story short, I, I was on the, I was on that, uh, that show. And this is back in the day when you can like pay for it. You can make a tape and then sell it. And the first tape I sold, by the way, I, I don't know if you know this, but your lovely wife was the executive on the first thing I ever sold. Okay. Cause when- Missy, Missy today, I told her, I told her who I was going to be like interviewing and who's going to be on the podcast. And immediately she like stopped in her tracks and she was like, why do I know Ben Patanti? Like, why do I know him? And I'm like, I don't know. He's a producer. He was at asylum for a year. She's like, no, I, I definitely worked with him on something. That was it. It was so, so I shot this tape about this mother and daughter who were like socialites in LA and they got sober. They were like both train wrecks and they got sober and opened up a clothing line called sober is sexy. And and we, we sold, we sold, the, I just walked into the room with this tape and it was like, and, and I forget who was Missy, who was, who was the boss, but anyway, Missy was in Lisa the room. Berger, she, Domla, Jason, maybe. Jason. Was, yeah, yeah. I think it was Jason. I think it was Jason. I think it was Jason. And, and, uh, Jason Sarlanis for those who don't know. Yeah. And then they were like, they were like, okay, cool. We'll do a presentation. And I was like, great, what's the presentation? And they were like, they told me and they're like, okay, you need a production company. I was okay. like, cool, what's the production company? How and quickly <laughs> How quickly did they call Buna Murray after that? Uh, you know what? They didn't. In fact, what they did was they they gave me two choices. They were like, here's two Seacrest? companies we really like. Seacrest was one of them, and the yep. other one was the other one was GRB. Oh. And oh. And I and so I went to so we went to GRB and Emily was there. And Michael Branton and, and Gary, and they produced the the thing, and it, it was, and, you know, it didn't go, but I, I, it was my first thing. And then GRB was like, "Hey, you got good ideas. Like, you should develop some stuff for us." And so Emily gave me a, a deal, she, you know, small, small amount of money, and they sent me out like Gina McDermott style. They sent me out on the road, and they were just like, "Find some stuff." And so I, I just I went to like Texas. Uh, all right, this is a good story. I was actually telling my wife this story the other day. I went to ta- Dallas to go find like random stuff, okay? And um, and I and and I'm, I'm I I had this idea that I was going to do an open call at a uh, at a radio station, and I was going to find some people, some crazy people, right? So you're so, just doing a do you want to be a reality TV star? Come to this time and location because Hollywood producer Big Shot is in town. That's exactly right. And I had found online this one all female gun club in Longview, Texas called the Pistol Pack and Mamas. Shout out Pistol Pack and Mamas. And I I went to Longview, Texas and I met with these women. They were wonderful. We went to some like outback steakhouse type establishment and it was, it was awesome. I shot some tape with them. And then I went to a country music station in Longview, Texas. They had like my name on the marquee and they they uh, and, and they and we did an open call for a whole day. And to help me I hired a young woman off of Craigslist to be my assistant in the day to help me. So we're we're meeting people all throughout the day. And it's- by the way, nothing about this operation sounds shady at all. 
You want to be famous? Come meet with me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you to a steakhouse. I'm going to hire some <laughs> random girl to be my assistant for the day on Craigslist. None of yeah. this in any way. Well, in retrospect, yes, sounds awful. But like at, at the time, it was like, this is the Wild West. Like, this is like, you're fine. You know, how do you find stuff? And this is when it goes back to like, we used to have to just go find stuff, you know, like actually in well, the cut. Like, yes, you couldn't just go on Instagram and search search a, a hashtag, right? Also, oh. I miss the days of when you could just go find civilians and they can actually be enough on tape to get a series. Like the days of the civilian-led docuseries is over. Well, that's, and it's going to go on a tangent because I was and thinking about coming on here. I was thinking about like what's wrong with our business and stuff and like a variety of things. But I actually think those shows will work now. I really do. The problem is no one will give them a chance to actually work. And that oh yeah, means, I'm not. I'm not arguing you know I mean? against. Yeah, I'm not arguing. I'm not arguing against it as a genre. I'm just saying, like, in terms of the buyer situation we find ourselves in, it's it takes a lot for a network to want to take a swing on people that have zero following these days, right? Hundred percent. And I and I don't begrudge them for doing that, but it's also like we're eating our ourselves. It's like Ouroboros, you know. And it's like because that's the stuff that actually the stuff that will work it'll still work if it gets the opportunity but it'll just never get the opportunity maybe we can right. maybe we can fix that with some of our new rules too. okay wait i, um, I stepped on your story though so give me give me the payoff here so uh i'm in longview texas i've been there like four or five days we're seeing person after person who wants to be famous none of them are good in fact it's all depressing it's all like really like heartfelt stories of people being like I'm a you know closeted gay person and I and I live in this small town and like I can't come out and I want to like get out and like I'm like oh my god I want to help you um, but you I can't put you on TV there's no like show here but like if you want to talk like I'm here to talk you know kind of stuff and so during lunch this woman who I had hired turns out she was pregnant she was about like six or seven months pregnant and she was complaining to me how in a great Texas straw how. You know, just because she's pregnant and she doesn't have a man doesn't mean that she can't go out and have a good time. And she's like, you know, sometimes I, I just want to go to a movie, you know, and like, I just want to go out on a date. I want to go bowling. And because I'm pregnant, no one's going to let go out with me. It's, you know, rough. And I was like, wow, that's that's rough. And so I, I, I came back to L.A. and I had this big meeting at GRB with all the people. And they were like, so what'd you find? And I'm like, well, I found this, these women and I found this and I found that. And nothing was landing. They were like, yeah, I didn't know, we don't care about any of that stuff. And then desperation at the end, I was like, you know, I also had this really interesting interaction with my intern who was there, the assistant, and she was pregnant and all this other stuff. And so I just thought, you know, what about a show? It's called Pregnant and Dating. <laughs> they were like, yes, that's the one. And so we, we put a tape together and we sold it and we TV bought it and Duran cast the first season. And that was my first real show, Pregnant and Dating. Um, Which, by the way, is, 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 a, is a tricky one, right? Because you put all the casting in front of a network. They will not be pregnant anymore by the time it's time to order a series. So then you got to basically just cast and go to straight to series. You can't even pilot something like that which was like the genius thing. Yes. Right? It's almost like I, it's almost like I did that on purpose. I did not, but it yes. was sort of like, Hey, we got to go. So like, you know, this woman's two months pregnant. Like you, we got to go. And, and so, yeah, we did six episodes and, and that was it. So anyway, uh, but and then, then, and then, and so it was over. So the GRB and then Emily went over to NBC universal was Comcast at the time, I guess. And, and she brought me over and I did a deal with her and 
She Wait, was give, give Emily a shout out for those who don't know who you're talking about. Oh, Emily Mayer. She's at B17. She's the best. I just saw her the other day for the first time in a long time. And it's, 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 it was long overdue, but yeah, she, we, you know, she was one of my champions early on and just the best. And so um, I did a couple years there and then the folks at WME, I got an agent, which is like ridiculous. Like, and then they were like, Hey, you should meet Steve Michaels. And that's how I got to asylum. And so got it. Go. Well, dude, full circle moment for you. Congratulations. Yeah, it's been fun. You know, it's I, like when, when Steve, when I got hired the first time at asylum, Shanfield and I always joke because Steve like hired both of us, like me and then him like two months later or two, you know, maybe a month and a half later. But I think Steve didn't realize we were two separate people. And so he just, he just, he thought he only hired one of us. And then he just was like, oh, wait, I had, there's two of them. And so they just put me and Matt in a in an office together. We, we had our desks touching, like facing each other. And they were just like, figure it out, boys. And that's how we did. Right. Matt, Matt Sheffield has told me a similar story that you guys are both <laughs> hired. And no one is made aware that they're hiring both of you. They don't even quite understand they've hired two people, but they find themselves they're in too deep. So they basically just say, look, we're going to let you guys, we're going to throw you guys in the in the battle dome and just let you guys try to outdevelop each other. And one of you will be left standing at the end of this, basically. That was it. That was it. That was entirely what happened. And then we just ended up like, you know, becoming a great team and fast friends. And he's another legend. Um, but yeah, that's, 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 that's it, Jimmy. And then, and then the rest is, as they say, history. All right. Well, I'm, I'm excited to jump into this. Let's uh, do it. I've been compiling a list and let me give a little background to the audience here. So we just went through this, you know, strike era with the WGA SAG is still going through it. We've seen the contraction of our business on the reality TV side for, for years now, departments getting smaller and smaller. It seems like now more than ever is a time to kind of step back and analyze how we run our business. How are, what are the, what are the protocols the professional and social protocols that we live by in the reality TV business. No time better than now to start just throwing some stuff out there, see what sticks, and maybe together we can create some new rules for how our industry is ran, okay? So what I did in the lead up to this is I pulled many people that I trust, that I look up to, maybe they've been former guests on the podcast, People across different disciplines, network side, producer side, production side, agency side. And I have a list now sitting in front of me of anonymous. Nobody wanted to put their names on these. By the way. <laughs> so, Ben, I think you and I will be the only people that actually put our names on our own ideas okay. here. Okay. Uh, but I have a list now of anonymous or anonymously submitted ideas for what should be some of the new rules of the reality TV industry. So what I'm thinking to make this fun is I'm thinking you and I should review these. You have not read the list I have. So you are going to be reacting fresh. You have also brought your own ideas to the table. I, uh, I think we should try to walk away from this experiment with five. So that way we have to kind of like cultivate the list, leave some on the cutting room floor, as they say, and walk away with five that make it. And as we go along, I think let's tab these like green, yellow or red, right? Okay. Green, green meeting. It. Yes. We're putting that on the keep, the keep pile. Yellow's mm -hmm. the maybe pile. Red is not good enough to make the list, at least not now. Right. So we can start wherever you like. I've got the anonymous list, which there's a lot of them here. Um, or we can start with yours. If you want to just go with what you've been sitting on, whatever you prefer. It's your show, Jimmy. 
It's your show. I'm here for you, buddy. All right. Let's, let's start with some anonymous submitted okay. ones. And then how about we'll it. go, then we'll go with mine and then we'll end with yours. Okay. Let's do it. And I want you to riff and react to these and let's let you be the barometer of the color. Okay. Okay. So you give I'm me in. the let's green, go. yellow, or red. All right, here we go. First one. This is a batch. Someone, you know, I'm not going to say who, but this is a batch that was submitted to me by an anonymous next gen 40 under 40 type producer. Okay. I, I already know who it is, but okay. I, <laughs> someone like that. I'm not saying they literally were on any list. They might've been, uh -huh. but they're that type of producer. They're in that era of our business. Okay. They're part of the new class. All right. All right. Number one, every network should publicly mandate that pitch decks should not exceed five pages, even for premium projects. No one likes reading them, but every deck somehow ends up being 20 pages long. How do we fix this? Your initial thoughts to a five page limit on decks. I, I'm for it. I don't, I think, um, the easiest, you know, in the world today, there's a thousand different reasons why your thing won't work or won't sell. And, and there's less attention being paid to every part of that process. And so if you can't explain it succinctly, very simply, very easily, uh, it's got no chance. So I, I'm down with that. I mean, to, I can give you some slides that I think should never exist ever, which is, can we all agree to get rid of the potential director slide? in every in every single like i mean we all know who directors are out there and like you putting in like you know potential like with pictures of people like with, by the way that they don't know that they're in, even in this deck at all like it's just it's so hacky all the way up and down you know also the comp deck slide like it's sort of like this show meets this show meets last chance you on every single comp like we like there's nobody sitting in a room being like you know, it feels like last chance you. And I only realized that because there was on that slide in the back. I'm gonna I'm gonna buy this show. Like, so yeah, I think there's a dozen slides that could be that could be taken out. Maybe deck should just be a log line, a title, some key art, and a budget number. That's it. Like that's it. It's a it's it's a half a page. <laughs> Here you go. Color. I need a color from you. I think that's a that's a no-brainer. So we'll keep it green. I think we might we might we might bump it for funner ones down the road, but like that one is a practical green. Okay, green. All right. All right, we're gonna start zooming through these now, okay? Let's go. All right, here we go. This is funny. Don't blur your Zoom background during meetings. You look like a weirdo. No one <laughs> no one gives an S if you're in a if you're in your bedroom or if you have a blank white wall as your natural backdrop. Uh red. I, I mean, think we got I, bigger. I think we yeah. got bigger fish to fry, right? Exactly. 100%. Does that bother you at all? I've never, it's never no. even occurred to me to care about someone's backdrop. No, I, I personally just don't like Zoom in general. Like the idea that mm. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to, I'm asking you to put your reputation on the line and, you know, convince your boss to write us a $16 million check and we're not even in the same room and your dog is at your, you know, feet. Like I think we're better than that. But, but no, yeah, we have better things to worry about. Um, if a celebrity EP isn't willing to show up to a Zoom pitch, they're not really meaningful to the project. I would, I would, I, I like the first part of that sentence. The end of the sentence, I would, I would add, then we're not doing it with them. Like, you know, like if you're, it's, yeah, they, they are, they might be meaningful, but they just, it's not going to, it's not going to work. If they're not going to be on the project, it's, the pitch is not going to work. See, I, 
this is my take on it. If a celebrity attachment is not willing to do publicity, they are not meaningful. Like right. to me, do we really care if they're at the pitch me or not? America's not going to know the difference. They're not going to care if they showed up for the Zoom. All we care about is this person going to, you know, use their platform to promote the show. A hundred percent. And like quick aside, I, I sold the show two years ago, a doc, very important doc, hardest doc I've ever had to sell in my life um, that we sold to HBO. And uh, George Clooney was a producer on it. And Clooney showed up for the pitches. He was unbelievable. Like when I tell you, I mean, just the best I've ever seen happen. And he said exactly that, Jimmy. He said, listen, I'm just the you know the the, the talking monkey over here but i'm gonna get out and promote the shit out of this because this is what i believe in and he and like the people like okay all right george i believe you yeah because by the way george could have done a pre-recorded message that would have said that and are we going to ding him for not showing up for the zoom or the pitch no so that's a red for me yeah all right here's one i really like i don't know if it's a green but it's it's definitely worth a conversation la based agents should be better friends with each other Treat the agency, <laughs> treat treat the agency game like how New York does. The age of WME and CA agents not being allowed to have lunch is outdated and dumb. This isn't the '90s. It's hilarious. Um, I feel like some of their some of them are better friends than they used to be. I mean, like there's I know some of them in particular that are like cool with people at different agencies. I agree with this one. I mean, it's a yellow for me. In general, though, like, they're all going to be one agency pretty soon anyway, so you better get to know each other. Like, it's, it's, it doesn't really matter. All right, and this last one from this next-gen 40 under 40 okay. producer, uh, and they admit this may be controversial. I dislike people cold-calling me to pitch me an idea. Send me an email with a log line. Or get proper time on the books with me so I can come up, I can come with a creative mindset. Don't pitch me your show while I'm driving five minutes before I hop on a Zoom. I have my take, is but you this, go first. Is this a network person or like a production or producer? This was a producer talking. No, I think I look, I I don't like that take. I think that like honestly, it, it, we there's too much reverence and too much, you know, pomp and circumstance to what we do at the end of the day. Like it's too much form formality. Like I actually love the idea of like, there's some relationships I have that I consider the best relationships I have where I can just call them up and be like, this is the crazy idea. What do you think? And they are cool enough to understand, like, even if it's not even a quarter baked, that if there's something there, let's talk about it. And if there's nothing there, it's a no fly zone. You just saved me six months of time working on something that never would have worked. So I, 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 I think that's a red for me. Like this, yeah. you know, I actually have the opposite preference. Okay. So there's one agent, I'm not going to say who they are, but there's one agent I've never met. I've never been in a room with, never been on the phone with who constantly emails me like these out of the blue <laughs> pitches for their clients. And I know I'm just one of 50 producers that they are doing this to at a time. Cause there's no personal connection at all. And there's no prior conversation, nothing. And I, and whenever this email comes in from the same person, which I, first I think, does this actually work for them? Like, does this help? Like just the cold emails of someone they have no relationship with and no prior convo. I would actually prefer this person call me, say, Hey, just want to like introduce myself. Say, I want to, I have 
clients. This is what we're doing here at the agency. I just want to like be able to pitch you stuff from time to time. I'll be like, absolutely. Great. I need to have, I, I, I just want to know the person or have them try to get to know me before they just like, cause I know I'm one of a hundred people that are on these like BCC, you know, emails or whatever. It's just lazy. The email to me can be lazier than just picking up the phone. And maybe I'm old school, want to actually talk to the person, but I had the opposite take. So this is a red for me. Uh, by the way, I, I think I 100% know who that email is. <laughs> okay, we can talk off. We can talk off. <laughs> All right. Moving on to anonymous Hall of Fame producer. Okay. This is Mount Rushmore level person that wrote these. All right. These aren't exactly worded in the form of like new rules, but they are like lessons. Lessons and let's say rules of thumb, so to speak. Okay. Mm-hmm. Here's one she said. I think that in post, to be fair, us producers have the ability to be in the bay and see things and try out a few things a few different ways. Execs at the networks don't have that ability. So we need to understand that and give them the benefit of the doubt when they give a note we disagree with. Basically, she's saying, producers, we need to stop being so reactionary to what we think is a bad note because we've had the benefit of seeing all the material in the Bay mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the network executives have not. Okay. Uh, that's a yellow for me. I, I get it. I appreciate that. I mean, it speaks to a larger point of like, let's all be honest with what this process is. You know, like I used to say something to some, like when I would sell a show to a new network or something, I'd say something, some version of, uh, hey, I know how this works. Like, if the show's a big hit, you're going to get all the credit. And if it's a big failure, I'm going to get all the blame. So, like, I'm gonna just going to try to do the best I can. And if you give us a note, I'm going to try to maybe deal with the spirit of the note, maybe not the actual note, you know, because I'm going to try to make you look great. Um, but, okay, give network executives more benefit of the doubt. Sure. That, 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 you need that. Not being so, re- <laughs> not being so reactionary. I think it's pretty good advice. <laughs> like I've, I've, I've learned yeah. myself um, to put down my phone. Like after right. I get the email, like after I get the email with something I don't necessarily agree with or something that completely throws a project off kilter, I'll like, Hey, you know what? Do not respond right now. Like go put down your phone, take a walk, come back to your phone later and, you know, have a more measured response. Um, so that's a yellow for me. This is still from the hall of fame producer. Mm-hmm. The note from a network, the note, do you have anything better deserves an answer as dumb as the question, LOL. <laughs> sure, sure. We are holding on to the better footage for personal use. So I think she, I think I think basically what her rule is here is that comment in notes should be should be removed, deleted from existence. Green. Okay. That 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 is, I mean, please just. Just give us that. Just give us the the benefit of the doubt to know that we're not holding the gold. Another Hall of Fame producer uh, suggestion. This is this is their last one. Mm-hmm. Network execs cannot give the note change music cue here without any further context or guidance. Change the cue to what? That was what they wrote me. I mean, these are. I think these are just all kind of similar in that it's like basically Mr. and Mrs. Network executive, just give us some sort of point of view as opposed to just plug and play notes from some other music is hard. Music is like the most subjective music is of hard. All notes. So, yeah. And, so to just say, and, change it doesn't, doesn't really help anybody. 
No, and and also like you're right. It's incredibly subjective, and and it could you can try. You know, you probably we've both been in the bay where you try thirty different tracks or thirty different cues, and like finally you find one, and 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 it does work. It does change, but like you you know, without any guidance, it's like it can be anything. I feel like this is a good time to turn the tables and take a take a suggestion on a new rule from a network executive. Okay, which was. A pass is a pass. If I if I pass on a project, don't come back to me with a different hook or take. In this day and age, take the pass and move on. I don't get the in this day and age part of that. What does that mean? I, like- I, I take that as in this day and age, the networks know what works for them or what they want or how many shots they get to submit something internally. So it's like, are you really going to win anybody over that's already passed by doing a repitch, I think is what, I don't want to speak for the network executive, but that's my take. Okay. I mean, uh, I'm kind of in favor of this. I kind of think like if you get passed on, you're, you're, you're beating a dead horse. You're not going to win them over with a repitch. At least not immediately. Not immediately. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I just think that like, that's not uniform because there are tons, there are definitely projects that I've, that somebody has passed on that they have bought. Like, and later on, I mean, and, and things have changed inevitably, yes. like, you know, and th- so like uniformly, like a pass the pass, don't ever pitch it again. Like that, I mean, if all the networks were on the same page for that, cool, but everybody does things a little bit different. I agree. There's, there's, there's gray area in here because there's, this should be a yellow, because if you listened to the, uh, the episode I did with Casey Bremmels talking about Dr. Pimple Popper, that was mm-hmm. passed on multiple times by TLC. And they kept coming back. But also, I think you have to take into account relationships. If you don't have a relationship with this network executive, it's just a it's just a pitch and you don't know them from Adam. Yeah. Coming back immediately is probably not going to help your cause, right? Yeah. But if you if you're friendly with them and you have like a history, I think you can take another stab at it. You just gotta be tactful. I agree with that. Yellow. Yellow. All right. I, lo- I love this one F- from another network executive, a anonymous veteran cable TV executive. Returned calls after 7 p.m. do not count against the phone tag exchange. It is disingenuous and cheating the system. <laughs> that is green, green, like extra green. That yes. was awesome. That I is love that fantastic. one. Fantastic. fantastic. The most annoying thing in the world. You think you're sneaky. You think you're sneaky <laughs> making the phone call after seven o'clock? To get me off your phone sheet? Dirty. That's the old, that's the, like, I'm ro- I'm rolling calls on my ride home and, yes. and just, you know, yes, no. You're just, you're just purging call sheet names with your assistant, right? If you still have your assistant roll calls, which is, by the way, another lost art given what we just lived through with COVID. I feel like everyone's just taking calls directly these days. By they the are, way. yeah. Assi- and assi- it's easier. Assistant jobs have never been easier, by the way, because that was like 80% of your day was rolling calls. All right, here we go. Highly respected network head. Okay. That's right. We called in the big guns for this podcast. By the way, I just, Jimmy, I, I, I it, you know, and I should know this with the three Emmys sitting right behind you, but you got some great contacts, man. People return your emails. I tell you what. Highly respected network head. I would like to anonymous, anonymously suggest that we impose an industry-wide annual cap on the number of true crime sizzle tapes that can be scored to Johnny Cash's God's Gonna Cut You Down. <laughs> thinking at most thinking at most 10 per year. Oh, uh, God. I fully support that. 
um that is that is agreeing uh, it's oh god i mean but like that does lead to another point like there are some some songs and some cues that really work for trailers but like the second i hear it now i'm just like ah and it just doesn't it, 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 you could show me the best tape in the world and it's got that music cue and it's not as cool as if you found something else I had to immediately go back and see if we had ever used this in any of our true crime sizzle reels. I don't think we have, but I, I, I wasn't actually aware of the song. So, so, but clearly there's truth to this because this is a network executive who's lived through seeing this many times over. I also feel like there could be a whole sub list just dedicated to songs that should be retired from sizzle use. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's a whole other podcast. Um, all right. Head of programming at a network. Very clean, very simple. No more than 48 hours between sides and negotiations. Ooh, green. Let's yeah. go. No one, no one can tell me that's a bad idea, except for an agent who is, 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 doesn't have an opinion. Should not count. Green, putting it on there. All right. We're moving on to my rules now. These are my personal ones. All right. Okay. You heard that. Jimmy's personal ones. These are right. Jimmy Fox's rules, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go. If a lunch gets rescheduled three times in a row with no personal contact made between the participants at any point, all communications have been through assistance. It is understood the lunch is null and void without mention between the two parties. As green as it possibly gets. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah that's that's a that's a home run. Sticking on the lunch or meal or meal tip. The network always buys. Is there an agent present in that meeting? No, this is, is agency excluded. This is just producer network meeting. Yeah. Network I'm, buys. I'm totally, and totally then if there's an that. agency involved, agency buys. Yes. Agency always buys if agency is involved. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to go great. I, it's, that's great. Yeah. All right. You're two five, for two, Jimmy. Five business days rule to respond to a taken pitch, even if it is just a like innocuous, meaningless status update. So you have a business week to at least respond to the producer who you took a pitch with and say, Hey, just want you to know, we're still going to, we're going to meet on this in a week or haven't got around to it yet. Just so you know, we're, we're here. That's just my suggestion. I'm, I'm open to other day ranges, but there should be some standard of response, even if it's like just an update. So I had, I had one of these two, mine, mine was three weeks. It was three, it was, it was, mine was three weeks to get back to you or it's an automatic green light. That was, that was mine. <laughs> uh, but, but I'm with you somewhere in between. I mean, and look, if the, if the executive says, oh, I just got so much on my plate. First off, we're all busy, but okay, fine. You got so much on your plate. Take less pitches. I don't mind. Like, like you don't, like the idea that that person you've never bought a show from is going to walk in with the magic bullet thing that, oh, by the way, they can't produce anyway. Why are you taking that pitch? By the way, I'm not even proposing a definitive, you know, pass or buy within five days. I'm just saying five days go by, network owes producer a follow-up. Hey, we're still working on this, anything. But you know what? Maybe we say a week and a half, maybe eight days, eight business days for a status update. Maybe that's more fair to the, the busy network people. I'll give you one out. Like, and, and like that update could come from somebody on their team. That update could come from their office. I don't care. That's right. Like, Hey, That's right. so and so was uh, wanted me to let you know we're going to talk in our green light next week. Cool, like yep. it's top of mind. I that's, right. a, that's yeah. What's better than a green? What's what's greener than green? <laughs> uh, winter green? I don't know. <laughs> All right, here we go. 
this is this is one that I think network people will like. Uh, okay, if you've pitched a network a certain amount of times in a year, and they haven't bought anything from you, it should be like the Premier League in soccer. You get relegated and have to start pitching the assistants first, or you are put on probation or timeout for a period of time where you can't pitch the network for a period of time, one or the other. So like, let's say you've pitched a network 15 times in a calendar year, and they haven't bought one thing from you, not even like a $10,000 paper development step. My proposal for the new rules is that producer is now has to pitch the assistants first to see if they even get the pitch meeting with the execs or they're just put on the sidelines for like three months or four months. I support that. And I support, I support a complete suspension. It's the, you, you, a timeout. You're in, you're in three month timeout. You cannot pitch again, but who is this network that's taking 10 pitches in a row from this person that they're not buying anything from. Who does this? I, this happens. This happens. Okay. This I, goes to another thing. We need less pitches. <laughs> like, like less, less production companies. Let's go. All right, here we go. This is, this is still me. This I'm still cooking. I'm still cooking, Ben. You're on fire. No more underlying deals with talent on unscripted pitches because not all deals will apply to all networks. What is the point I'm going to agree to an episodic fee for a piece of talent. And one network is going to say, this is way, way, way too much. We're never going to honor this. Another network might be in the vicinity. So like more and more, given that there's less and less places to even take these pitches to, I feel like eventually if somebody wants to buy it, you still have all the leverage anyway, host, because if the network Mm -hmm. wants you, they're going to make a deal with you. No one's going to get screwed here. But we waste months and months and months as producer making underlying deals with these the talent on what their episodic hosting rates will be. And most times networks don't even want to sign up for those that you've agreed to. I, anyway, I just feel like there's got to be a better system because we're losing months on something that's completely speculative and most times is not even honored by networks these days. I, I agree. Um, I don't even do those anymore. I, like it's just you know for that exact reason it's a complete waste of time and don't let anybody convince you that there's not a way to go to market with something that's not completely dialed in because that's bs we've all been in the situation where if they want it and they want the show they're going to write the check and if you have the talent that is going to get the check we're all going to benefit all pit okay this is one you're not going to like but okay. I, I mentioned i mentioned this briefly to allison wallach on our on our episode all pitch meetings are Zooms. All kickoff meetings are in person. That's my proposal. Why, Jimmy? Tell me why. I think people do more pitches than they do kickoff meetings. The network executives take more pitches than they do have production kickoff meetings for something they're about to spend money on. I think pitching it on Zoom is actually more efficient for everybody involved. Because at the end of the day, I think they're responding to 75% the idea and the materials and 25% the background of the person that's pitching it to them. So I think Zoom is more efficient for the network execs. They're going to be a happier room. Um, now, look, I know it's hard if you've never met the network executive before to do your first pitch on Zoom. Yeah. Like if it's my first time meeting ever an exec, I probably would want that to be in person, but just something everybody could sign up for that I don't think really dings or damages anybody it makes life easier because we're living in an era where technology just makes life more efficient. All pitch meetings are Zooms. But what I'm saying is 
all kickoff meetings. Once you're actually spending money and about to go into the field and we're actually going to make something and we want to make sure everybody's on the same page and everybody's listening and everybody's like in on this, that is always in person. So that's just my proposal. Tell me why you think that's a bad idea. Okay. So the only way I would sign up for that is if all the Zooms were from an office, like they couldn't take a Zoom from somewhere else. They can, they have to take the Zooms from their office and we are in offices. But even then, I just think um, you're, you're admitting by that structure that once we are doing something with them, that it's important to be in, in the room because creatively things are better when you're in the room together. And so inherently, we can agree that things are creatively better when you're in the room together. And I think the hardest thing in our business is to, everybody's the holy grail is find a new show that works, right? 80, what, 82, 84, 83, giving what year of new, every percentage of new series that fail in a, in a given year. So like, if we're all chasing that holy grail of a new show that works, why wouldn't we do everything in our capacity to 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 ensure that we're taking the best swings possible. And I think it's too easy to just say, I'm not really paying attention over Zoom. It's just easy. That's my counter to it. If you if you said to me you would live in that world, I can live in that world. But I, I feel like it's, you know, it just goes against the creative process. To see this is why this is why I brought you on. This is the back and forth. That's okay. So that's gonna be a red. That's gonna be a red. And that's okay. <laughs> All right. Give me give me the Ben Batanti specials here. What do you, what did you cook up? Oh god. Yours are really good, man. You I don't know if I could follow that. And obviously, you know, some of the other ones are really good too. Mine are, you know, just a few that I, I believe in. One I really strongly believe in with all seriousness. The other ones are a little bit more tongue in cheek. But like, um, okay, if and this could work on the network side or the production company side, if any incoming pitch is in that pitch, and at any point in time, they reference Anthony Bourdain or or Chef's Table in the actual pitch, that is an immediate pass. Immediate pass. I'm just writing it down because this is this is now this is now a green. I yes, I hate I hate overly used references, and Anthony Bourdain is the epitome of an overly used reference. Anthony Bourdain, Chef's Table. Yep. Okay. I mean that, that's a yeah, green for me. All right, so that's green. What else? All right, so any all right, if if anyone in our side of the business, so if you are in unscripted, if you are a showrunner, if you are a producer, if you are a network executive, even if you're an if you're an agent, anyone who works in the unscripted business, and at any point in time, you can be you you have been overheard or directly quoted as saying something along the lines of like. I don't really watch unscripted TV. I only watch scripted TV. You have to immediately find a new job, like immediately. It's just, it, 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 none of that, it just doesn't, it's like, I, like I'm, a, I'm a vegan. I don't know if you know that about me, Jimmy. I, I, it's one of the things I hide because people immediately judge you. But if I like worked at a barbecue place and I was a vegan, it just wouldn't work. Like I, I think we have really good food. I've never had it before, but I've heard it's great. Like if you, this is, you know, we're, we're making unscripted TV. You've got to watch unscripted TV. If you don't, how the hell do you know what is going to be good or not good? I don't think I can't argue with that. I guess I'm, I'm only, my only thought or note on it is the back, the back half of that rule, which is they have to immediately lose their job or is it, you know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Mine are, 
That's fair. Yours are a lot. You you admit a great politician because you're sort of like looking for the soft landing of where this would be. Like yes. mine are just mine are dystopian. They're just like right, you out. lose, you're out. You're you know? out. Like, you're out. You're like it, it should be. You know, it could be a contractual thing. Like if your bosses find out you say that anywhere, they have the right to just release you from your deal. I'm the you know I'm the assistant general manager of the L.A. Rams. I just. I don't like football. I don't yeah. really watch sports at all. It's like, what, what do you, what, how is that possible? This, we make television. This should be put in the asylum deals. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I will try to get it in there. I think, you know, but yeah, no, no one, I'll tell you right now, no one who works on our team will only read books and watch scripted TV. Like you I don't have know how, to read. I don't know how we're going to get this list of five. I don't know how we're going to get this list of five. Uh, all right. All right. What else you got? Um, well, I had one. Mine, mine was three weeks on, yep. on 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 that, but like you know, I think we found a compromise there. You know, my 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 last sort of big one, which I really this is serious, and I do feel like would be unbelievably helpful for everyone involved. And I do think there's a way in which it's not dystopian, even though it does involve people potentially losing jobs or switching jobs. But I think we need term limits on buyers. Oh term Jesus limits. Christ! You are just this is. This is the hottest of hot takes right here. Term limits. Okay. And, he, and like we have term limits in, in some of the most important parts of our whole you know, world, like in governmental, you know, you know, offices, et cetera, et cetera. But just think about this. Okay. You've been at a network for 12 years. You're clearly very good at what you do. I'm not discrediting how tough that job is. Like kudos to you. Like that's awesome. But think about how much has changed in that 12 years, right? Like 12 years ago, Netflix was sending DVDs through the mail and there were blockbuster videos on, on every corner. But you have this sort of institutional knowledge from that 12 years just rattling around in your head. And like the PTSD for the fact that like eight years ago, you tried a wedding show and it didn't work. So I'm not gonna try a wedding show now is so beyond irrelevant. Like the, the world changes every moment. We're, we're constantly evolving. Yet you're, we're supposed to believe that you are so plugged in with your viewer and you know exactly what they're going to want that you, you, you know, th that you're, you're, you're going to be able to pick the next hit out of a thousand pitches that you just took. Like, I think you can go from another network to another network in the same group. You can maybe come back, but like, it would be really, really helpful to clear out the brain a little bit from just hearing crime pitches for the last 10 years to go do something else. Uh, you know, and, and look, networks are, are proving or shit telling us that like the same buyer can buy for multiple, multiple things now. Right. So like, I, I am just as easily able to judge your shiny floor game show as I am your doc series. Okay. Well, if that holds true, then we can move people around from different disciplines so that they don't have this sort of just this mental sort of PTSD they carry with them mm. from something that they tried 10 years ago. You just made me, you just made me think about what if term limits wasn't just for network execs? What if term limits was for production companies? And, and this is no, not disparaging anybody who makes this show, but like Wheel of Fortune, right? Has been made by like the same company for a very, very long time. What would happen if another company with fresh ideas, right? because the other company, you know, had reached their term limit. It's just, it's fascinating. I'm going to give this a yellow because there's no <laughs> world in which this could actually be a real thing. Right. But right. I love, I, but I love, I love the creativeness behind it. I'm going to give it a yellow though. 
I appreciate that. And I know it, it, it's got 0.0 chance of ever happening, but I do think it speaks to the larger, like just mental, you know, fatigue that our business has right now, where if you are been doing the same thing for the last 10 years, it's hard to get excited over something new. And everything starts with getting excited over something new. That's no hit show, no franchise ever started with somebody being like, yeah, it's going to be a, a middle, <laughs> it's going to be a middling show for us. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. Like, Jimmy, you're a developer. When you think of something and you can't not think of it and you're just like, oh, I am so excited to pitch this thing. Like, that's the feeling, right? We want all of those. And I think it's really hard as a network executive to feel that feeling anymore because you've just been soul crushed a thousand times. I get, I get where, I get the motivation behind it. <laughs> You'll still get some resistance. They're going to get a lot of resistance. Yeah. All right. All right. It's time to trim down our greens to five. All right. Insert um, dramatic music here. Here we go. I think, what was the one I said was the greenest of the green? Uh, I don't know. I think that, was that one of mine? Was yeah, that, it was one of yours. Was that, was, or, or was that, was that the return calls after 7 p.m.? No, no, that's a good one, though. I think we can all agree for the benefit of everybody involved that some sort of time uh, constraint on uh, having to get into con being in contact after a pitch is is is, yes. is just needed. It's for the for the sustainability and the decorum okay. of our business. Like, right, so I'm going to go I'll go I'll go in reverse order. OK, so you gave it a green. No more underlying deals with talent. I don't think that needs to make the top five. Correct. OK. All right. The, we settled on the eight business day rule for some sort of response from the network. I think that's what you're talking about. Let's let's keep that right now on the keep pile. Lunch, the network always buys, agency always buys if they're involved. I think that, that should just be a reminder. That shouldn't even be a new rule. That should already have been a rule, right? No, but your, your lunch rule about being wiped off the books, again, it, it, breakfast, drinks, whatever. But if you have a, a, a if you have a a, a meeting wiped off three times in a row without a personal reach out. It is null and void. It's null and void. That's that's staying on for now. Mm -hmm. No more than forty eight hours between sides and negotiations. Yeah, I mean that would make our keep, lives. Keep that on the list. Uh, the the Premier League relegation rule. If you've been over, <laughs> if you've been over pitching. I don't know if that makes the top list because I still think that's. There's no, anyone who's taking 10 pitches from a company they never bought something from should really examine how they're managing their day-to-day -day schedule. It should never go that far is what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, uh, the, the Johnny Cash rule of capping it, the use of certain songs and sizzle reels. Hard, hard to police that. Hard to police that. Yeah. And, and also like, you know, it's, 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 it's very specific. I, I, I actually like your deck rule or the, the anonymous deck rule better as a, okay. a more relevant as a more relevant pitch related rule. Okay. Material, so material material related. I'll go to the top and mark that one. All right. The next screen we had return to calls after 7 PM. Do not count against the phone tag exchange. I think we've got to keep that on for now. Keep it on. It's kind of like the agency network buys rule. Like this should already be a thing, but apparently people don't know what they don't know. Um, the, change music cue here note should be dismissed from all notes moving forward. See, I feel like this one and also like those, the last one we were just talking about, like these ones that are like pointing out decency situations, like that's a separate list. 
To me, like All right. rules are like fundamental changes in how we do business. This is like, don't forget you're a human being talking to other human beings. And here's a rule list of rules to remind okay. you to act like a human. Okay. Well, if that's the case, then we might already have our five because I think the next the next one is the five pages long pitch deck, or I propose ten. So do you like five or ten? The network uh, can always ask. The network can always ask to see more. Yeah, five. later. What 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 can you possibly be putting in there? Like and like and also. Well, we do it every also, day, Ben. So I think we all know what we put in there. I mean, but like, but it's like, and on to the point where like we're just doing bullet points on on format breakdowns and stuff like that. Are you if you're writing paragraphs anymore for people to read? What are we doing? Nobody knows. Know. Nobody either knows how to or wants to read any. I know. All right. So so here's what we got. I think we may have five. So we have the decks, pitch decks are no longer, are they anything more than five pages? All right. Okay. That's the, that's new rule. Number one. The next thing we have marked up is no more than 48 hours between sides and negotiations. That's a good one. If a lunch gets rescheduled three times in a row with no personal contact, it's wiped off the books forever. Mm -hmm. Eight business day rule to respond to a taken pitch. Even if it is just a status update, that is four. One, two, three. That's four, which means we look to your list. The, all I got is Bourdain, man. That's all no. I got. Well, you also have the you can't can't say you don't watch unscripted as well, <laughs> and yeah. without losing your job, which I feel like is going to be a tough one. So I think we should have the Anthony Bourdain chef's table rule that it is now barred from being mentioned in any pitches. I, I think that should make the inaugural list of five new rules for the reality TV business. Bart, in any pitches or it's an immediate pass when it's an, on an incoming phone call, like yep. my, from an agent saying my client, well, what do they want to do? Well, they really want to do like an Anthony Bourdain type travel log. I mean, just you hang up the phone immediately. Hang up. Or the it's, phone. it's chef's table, but for this. All right. <laughs> so these are the five. These are the new rules by which the reality TV business will be ran. Just one more time for those in the back. No more mention of stable in any of your pitches. Every network should public and mandate that decks be no longer than five pages initially. Rule number three, no more than 48 hours between sides and negotiations. Rule number four, if a lunch gets rescheduled three times in a row between two parties with no communication, it is null and void and wiped off the books it is just understood it goes away forever. <laughs> and lastly, networks must respond in some form, some sort of status update, eight business days after having taken a pitch. Those are the new five rules for the reality TV industry. I'm not one to pat myself on the back. Ben, I think we did a good job. I'll give you the, I'll pat the back for you. I, you know what? I, I feel like... This will this day will go down in infamy. I mean, we we weren't there for the Magna Carta. We we were we weren't there when when Martin Luther you know nailed the uh, you know on the, the on the door. But but this we were all here when this happened, and we could all remember when the course of our business has changed forever on on this day. Ben, thank you for joining me. It was my pleasure, Jimmy. Talk to you soon. Perfect. <laughs>